Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods at Early Adopter Research, and I'm going to be talking today with John Madison, the EVP of products for Fortinet, one of the leading cybersecurity companies. As you know, this podcast is called Designing Enterprise Platforms, and it's all about how to figure out how to use products and other technology to create a platform to solve a problem. We at Early Adopter Research believe in what we call research missions, which are descriptions of high-value use cases. And in this case, the research mission this podcast is related to is creating a balanced cybersecurity portfolio. If you'd like to see more about that research mission, go to earlyadopter.com. But what we're going to do today is talk to John about three really fascinating topics in an inverse order of uh, generality. What we're going to do is first talk about SD-WAN technology. Now, SD-WAN technology is uh, becoming much more popular and is allowing uh, CISOs to create architectures that are, enable them to do things they couldn't do before. And also, it helps solve problems that are related to some of the zero-trust type perimeterless world that we're, we're, we're entering into. Now, but then that's an example of a larger concept uh, which is called security-driven networking. Now, this is something that's been introduced by Ken Z, the CEO of Fortinet, and it's uh, an answer to a larger question of how are we going to secure this really messy uh, 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 hybrid uh, world that we're in. Now, that security-driven networking is an answer to an even larger problem, which has greatly complicated the world of cybersecurity, which is the arrival of the edge, and how are we going to secure both what we have now, you know, in data centers and in the cloud, but also what is increasingly becoming an important part of almost every company's infrastructure, which are edge devices, IoT devices, all other, other sorts of devices. And in order to do that, we're going to need a new paradigm, and, and security-driven networking is, is part of that, but also SD-WAN is an instance of a technology that is implements a security-driven network paradigm. So, John, this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm yeah. excited. Yes, I certainly am. So, um, why don't you explain, first of all, your role quickly at Fortinet, and then we'll start talking about SD-WAN. Sure. I've been at uh, Fortinet for about seven years. We're based in uh, Sunnyvale, in the heart of Silicon Valley. I'm the uh, head of products and solutions, and my responsibility is to make sure a lot of customer requirements are coming into the, the development teams, the PM teams, uh, and then we make sure we package that up and make sure that's correct, correct and ready for our, our customers and, and our, our channel partners. Now, let's start our conversation about this SD-WAN technology. Um, SD-WAN means software-defined wide area network, and it's a technology that's been around uh, probably four or five years, but it's become much more popular recently. What is it and why has it become more popular? That's right. So SD-WAN, and, and I'll talk later on about SD-WAN actually being a subcomponent of the WAN Edge. Um, but if you look at uh, wide area networking, there was really two main uh, markets or different use cases. There was um, what I call the distributed enterprise uh, made up of many thousands sometimes of uh, retail outlets. Uh, we have one customer, for example, with 15,000 outlets there or little small branches. And they've always been under the concept that they want the, tre the cheapest transport back mechanism back, they want, so therefore they needed security. And then there was another marketplace called the branch office. And in the branch office, which is more around enterprises, smaller number of branches, um, but the, what they really did was to bring everything back to the data center where all applications were. 
So you had these two marketplaces. One was UTM and one was routing. So what happened was both these marketplaces have started to merge in that the branch office wanted to make sure they had more flexibility on where those applications go as, as enterprises roll out public cloud and SaaS applications. The applications weren't always going back to the data center. They were going to different places. The same for the retail and UTM marketplace. The other thing that both of those marketplaces wanted was a bit more flexibility on the transport mechanism. Do I want to use DSL or cable? Do I want to use a more higher quality MPLS service? So those were the two main use case drivers. I want to be able to have more flexibility on where the applications go, how the applications go and where they go because my workloads are moving around a lot of different places. And then I also want to have choice on what sort of transport I use inside the wide area network. Well, you know, there's a great example that, that, that I think makes this, made this much more clear for me than, than it was in the past, and that was from Brian Talbert from Alaska Airlines. And he explained that their entire um, uh, staff at all airports is mobile. And so they have, everybody's using a mobile device no matter what they do, whether they're servicing the planes or whether they're checking people in. Um, and then they also have lounges where the... Uh, pilots and the flight attendants uh, hang out. And there, when they do that, they want to watch Netflix and stuff like that. So he said that the the SD-WAN technology allows them to create a connection to a mobile device, determine if it's a pilot who is wanting to watch Netflix, in which case they they route them over a public internet and allow them to watch their Netflix without having that bandwidth interrupt uh, the, the traffic for the applications. If it turns out it's a a flight attendant, uh, you know, checking somebody in or uh, uh, answering a question or uh, somebody doing aircraft maintenance, the SD-WAN router will realize that and then send them over the MPLS, but the dedicated uh, network back to the branch office or back to the central office so that they can get, get, you know, the service they need. That's a great use case, really good use case. And so what you're seeing there is that I mentioned the applications being in different locations, so you want to use different transport mechanisms. But what you can also apply to what I call the SD-WAN controller. The SD-WAN controller sits there, looks at the applications, where they come from, who is it, where they need to go, and makes that decision based on a policy you can apply. What you can also then apply is a quality of service. So, for example, uh, for airlines, they want to make sure people get booked in. When an attendant, when attendants arrive off planes, they immediately log in their handsets to make sure the payments process straight away. Those are very important applications that need to go have a better quality of service or higher priority than anything else than someone streaming the Netflix in, in, the, you know, in the waiting room. So what, what SD-WAN also does is give you this QoS against very important applications. Well, and that was another thing that I guess I didn't realize is that existing routers do have the ability to decide that a, a route will, be, will change from one you know, path to the other, but usually it's only if that path fails. What's really interesting about SD-WAN is that you, there's all sorts of other metadata that you can decide to make that routing choice on, and that's really the trick of it. Yeah, and we'll talk about this around security-driven networking. Routers are IP-based. They don't really know who's on the other end or, or what it is or the applications. They're at a lower level inside the stack and the routing stack, and so they just decide based on some conditions the SD-WAN controller knows who's attaching, they know what application it is, they know where the applications are, they know they have information about the quality of the links going on. So it's a much more sophisticated mechanism to make sure, again, you have the QoS against key applications. Now, Fortinet's made a big deal about 
the, uh, that your SD-WAN controller and your SD-WAN technology has security built in. What's the difference between an SD-WAN system that has security and, and, and doesn't have security? Well, a lot of the original SD-WAN vendors were really focused on the routing stack, making sure that routing stack. And I think a lot of them forgot about when you open up that wide area network, not only to um, DSL and cable, eventually it's 4G and 5G, you're then creating an edge. And this edge then becomes something you need to protect. So you need to have a much higher level, higher grade of security built into that SD-WAN controller, SD-WAN appliance or whatever. And today a lot of them you know, uh, offload that to a, a cloud application or to a second box, etc. In our opinion, that's very expensive and operationally very cumbersome. And so we uh, manufacture some of our own, for example, ASICs, and we announced our SD-WAN ASIC here at the event, uh, Accelerate 2019. And that allows us to run not only the SD-WAN stack, but also a enterprise-grade security stack in the same appliance. Got it. So now, the SD-WAN is an instance of a technology that is flexible, that uh, allows you to make decisions to where you want to route things. It's very useful when you have a branch office or a, a distributed office and, and you want to send some traffic over the public Internet or send some traffic to SaaS applications or send some traffic to SaaS applications through a cloud access security broker. So, you know, you can make a lot of choices that way. Um, and that's all well and good. But now, the choices that you're making are basically choices about quality of service, about security, and uh, the, the metadata that you have available to make those choices is much larger. Now, Ken, in his keynote, mentioned a concept called security-driven networking. And basically, that's sort of like a popping SD-WAN up to a, a much more abstract layer and saying, wait, if we have all this metadata, if we know a lot more about the network, if we understand more about our applications and our users, can we make routing and, 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 and networking decisions that are much more intelligent um, rather than uh, uh, just having... Uh, uh, the the path be minimized or the speed of the right. connection be, be maximized. Um, and essentially what security-driven networking seems to be to me is the idea of let's make decisions about networking with taking advantage of the greater amount of information that we have. Uh, is that it or is there more to it? That's it plus a bit more. And I think um, the genesis of Fortin as a company right from the beginning, almost you know, 19 years ago, has been that we believe that uh, networking security should be integrated and combined together. And that's why we spend a lot of times huge investment in building out our own what we call security processing units and ASICs to make sure that can happen. Think about it this way. I think a lot of when you build networks, the networking team will make sure connectivity. That's their first goal, making sure we've got high availability, we've got connectivity uh, between users and devices and the applications. Uh, then what happens is people decide, well, which applications need to be available for which users. Then what happens is another layer goes on top of that, which says, well, we need to make sure it's secure. We're going to put some security here in the data center or in the cloud and put some security in the, on the endpoint or we're going to put some security over here. But those are all three different teams. So just imagine when you need to make a change. You have to go to the first team, then the second team, and the third team. It slows things down, and that's what's happening. There's a lot of manual changes still going on inside these area networks. And if these companies, such as you mentioned Alaska Airlines, are trying to digitize as much as they can, as quickly as possible, that just slows everything down. 
So our security-driven networking means that you have one device that does networking and security in an integrated device. But as you said, what we also do is take advantage of a lot of the additional data. We can see who's attaching. We can see what devices. We can apply policy end-to-end from our, the customer premise through the WAN into the cloud, into the data center. It's a holistic concept instead of being a layered concept of making sure you can connect applications securely to users. Well, one of the things that was interesting is that it talked about using not only data that we're used to getting, but data that we're not used to getting. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, Ken suggested that it might be possible to route things over a wide area and make sure that the route avoided dangerous parts of the Internet or also avoid areas where you might be have a higher probability of what he called pollution uh, you know, entering into the, to the data that you were transporting. Um, in order to do that, though, you have to have an understanding of what parts of the Internet are safe and what parts are, are polluted. How is that all going to happen? Yeah, and I refer to that as the, as the risk level. So that's what, that's what's going to create these edges going forward is the different risks on either side of the interface creating the edge. And so uh, the edges will appear throughout that one. It may not just be your CPE or branch office and then your data center. Within that wide area network, you may decide different rest levels of different transport mechanisms or going through different ISPs and different connections. So once you have that information, you can apply that to the policy which then makes decisions based on which applications need to go where. So again, you may decide confidential information or PCI information goes through a encrypted MPLS link all the way there, but again, someone streaming some video can go off through some less secure links. Got it. But then, uh, so I can understand how you would understand where to send the good traffic over the known good stuff. It seemed to be implied in what Ken said is that the, you know, like there's a service called ThousandEye, which is um, uh, able to allow you to understand the routes in the public network because they put sensors all over the public network and you can see if there's a problem, you know, in the public network somewhere. I guess the impression I had was that you would actually have some sort of data telling us what parts of the public network uh, are dangerous, and I guess part of that would be ISPs that are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of it. What other, what other, what other kind of risk ratings would you put on? What are the elements that you would risk rate that you could that would help? Yeah, you that's that ISPs. If you say have rankings around security, you can also define even if it's not a you know an encrypted link. Some of the ISPs do some of their own security. Uh, definitely, you can employ encryption for, for certain companies. So it's a lot of data we bring in at a global level through our, our 40 guard services and then apply that back into our SD-WAN controller. So it's not just one fact. It's a number of different factors that we can apply through that. Got it. And how soon do you think people will start doing uh, security-driven networking on a larger scale? Obviously, doing things with existing technology like SD-WAN is actually a form of security-driven networking. But, but how long do you think before this becomes something that, you know, is really mainstream? Well, I think what's going to happen is, as, as you said, uh, SD-WAN is already an example of security-driven networking. Another example that started maybe five or six years ago were next-gen firewalls, where you would take an existing stateful firewall, add some intelligence on it, and you know, as we said, that the reason for that was because the content was getting richer and richer, and we had to inspect that content. So... That's another example of it. In the future, we'll see examples applied to the cloud, 5G. All those edges will need that security-driven networking, access you talked about, 
the airline there where people are accessing the Wi-Fi, that Wi-Fi needs to be secured, even the Ethernet connections. So as, as soon as an edge applies, you need to apply or create the security-driven networking to make sure it's secure. So now let's move to the edge. Now, it's really interesting to see how the conversation about what's called the edge and what's called the perimeter mm. has become so confusing because sometimes people talk about the perimeter as if it's an edge and then they talk about the edge as if it's a class of computing devices yeah. and everybody you know, knows what they're talking about. It's just that the terms can come, become confusing. Yeah. So we're going to set the terms right now. Okay. When we're talking about a boundary between one domain of, of computing and another, we're going to call that a perimeter. And we're going to call the edge all of the devices that are emerging now, what Phil Quaid called the uh, sci-fi, you know, cyber-physical interface, the IoT in general. And uh, so now, as you, as, as you guys pointed out in your keynotes, in the past you had security on servers, and then you had virtualization and now security on clouds, and you had to have threat intelligence and security around all that. And now a whole huge new domain has been opened up, which is, you know, essentially the edge, which is devices operating all over the place, yeah. which need to talk to everything that's inside, um, inside the, that, those other perimeters. Now, I was really interested recently because I read the, the, the white paper from the Gartner analysts about CARTA, their, their uh, exposition of the zero trust concept. Right. And one of the things they said that I thought was really correct was that it's not a perimeterless world. It's actually a perimeter-filled world we're yes. going to be living. Exactly. We're going to have so many perimeters, it's going to drive people crazy. Right. You're going to have perimeters around routes for, you know, between a, a, a device and an application. You're going to have perimeters around classes of IoT devices. You're going to have perimeters inside your normal zone of trust where you have micro-segmentation. Right. And so it's not that we, we, we need to forget about perimeters. Actually, we need to get really, really good at managing those perimeters and creating them, understanding them, and tearing them down. And so it seems to me that, you know, that is that concept of how am I going to get really good, if you were able to do that, you'd be you'd go a long way to being able to have really good security for the for the you know edge, this the IoT world. Yeah, and it's all a all a matter of trust, I think. And so if you if you go back not so long uh, the perimeter was pretty small. It was in the data center. In fact, even a big global organization will maybe have just a couple of data centers designated as the internet connection. And that was the perimeter for customers. The other part of the perimeter, uh, the other side of the perimeter, and this is where edge and perimeter and borders kind of get a bit confused, is the other perimeter they had was, was endpoints because those endpoints would be go offline, go home, connected in other places. So those were the two pieces of the perimeter and you're right. And people say, oh, the perimeters are disappearing because now you've got cloud and I've got IP-enabled devices in my factory and I've got more flexibility on the WAN. And we think it's the opposite. What's actually happening as these things roll out is you're now creating new edges. And um, these edges... Well, what we've, we've, we've called perimeters for our conversation. What we've called perimeters are becoming edges in our opinion. Right, okay. And the edge, in, in our opinion, is something... Uh, where you go from one trust level to another trust level. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't really like that zero trust terminology. I always ask people, would you ever connect something to zero trust? It's, no, that's not what they do. I, I do like the Garner analogy around Kartner, Carter, but I also think that you've got to, be, as you say, you've got to be very, very aware 
of the edges. First of all, you've got to know where they're appearing. You've got to, you need that visibility across your network uh, to make sure you see that. Uh, but as I said, that you know that one of the edges which is appearing a new edge in the in the branch office, they used to connect that back to the data center, and that was it. Now you're opening it up to different transport mechanisms. That becomes what we call the WAN edge. Uh, when you think about a factory, that's uh, now you're starting to put IP-enabled devices inside there. That's creating an OT edge or a factory edge, etc. When you think about uh, even a, a cloud instance, which is not going to come back to your network. You're going to have a web interface for pe people to use a certain application that creates another edge, an application edge. Right, and, and when you're sitting in Starbucks on your laptop, you know, and you're trying to connect to central resources, you, you've got now your... Access edge. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So these edges are going to appear all over the place. And as I said before, I think security-driven networking is a concept to bring in security networking together, but you're going to need many different types of security, not just appliances, not just virtual machines, not just pieces, agents and software. You're going to need containers in cloud. Uh, probably the one that's going to be very, very relevant over the next five years in certain areas will be API. You need to be able to see it. So in a, in a, in a SaaS application, you can't take your security inside there. You've got to, you're reliant on what you can see through the API. So these edges are going to be secured. 5G is another one. When you start rolling out compute, not only from in your data center, but in clouds, but also in edge compute, for certain applications, that creates additional edges there as well. And so what's going to be very, very important is that you can look at these edges, identify them, identify the security level, and then apply the right security combination, maybe hardware, maybe software. I've always, in the last five years, when people have talked about virtualized firewalls and virtualized, you know, virtualized security systems, um, I'm always, I always have the conversation around, do you really want to provide a software edge, a soft edge, uh, because our appliances are hardened, they make sure no one gets inside there. But inside the edge for the cloud, that would be perfectly fine to create that uh, virtualized edge. Or if in a SaaS implementation, an API edge, for example. So the different installations of security will depend on the edge implementation may be a combination of all of those. It may be a piece of hardware, it may be a Wi-Fi access point, it may be a virtualized system, it may be an API. So now there's two other issues I want, and then we can declare victory. Okay. Uh, the first issue is the idea of if you're going to do a good job of this, you have to have an opinion about how you're going to provide the right uh, security for the edge, how you're going to be right, provide the right security for the cloud. Now, one of the points that Sportnet has made for quite some time is that if you're going to really expect rich content, the amount of pow processing power mm. it takes to expect that content is 100 to 200 times the amount it takes to deal with the routing issues. And so you've made a, a strategic architectural decision that the best way to deal with that is to create special purpose chips, security processing units, uh, that allow you to do that at the firewall level. So the FortiGate firewalls now have, and you just announced a new version of the chip, uh, dedicated chips that, that handle the security processing uh, unit Correct. functionality to inspect content and do other CPU-heavy things. There are also on those boxes are CPUs that do the regular kind of routing and, and, and the command and control sort of stuff. So let's assume that you're right and that that is required for top-level security. And if you try, if you don't do that, you're going to get serious performance degradation. So that means that at the edge, where a lot of the data is being created, you're going to be able to have to push down that capability into the IoT in some level. 
One way to do it is to push it down into the device. Another way to do it is to push it down into local controllers that are, uh, you know, attaching to a bunch of devices. Gateways, yeah. Yeah, gateways. Um, uh, and then in the cloud, you're going to have the same problem. How am I, go am I going to deliver security in the cloud properly? And um, what you're going to find is that you have to, if you're going to get the right performance for a next generation, you know, firewall uh, in the cloud, you're going to need a cloud instance of a security computer that uh, that you can spin up a, a, a firewall, you know, kind of instance that has in it, underneath that 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 virtual concept, it has in it that security processing unit. Now. That means it seems like that the future of security is going to become a heck of a lot more embedded than it was, than it is now. You know, I mean, you're going to, you're, the, the IoT device manufacturers are going to have to embrace embedding specific security capabilities inside their ecosystems, if not inside their devices. The cloud uh, uh, providers are going to have to do the same thing. Now, you have, this, you have this going on a little bit right now where you, you sell to telecommunications providers who white label your service and provide a, a secure network to their to their retail customers? Um, how is this? I mean, do you agree that that the world is going to become a lot more embedded? And um, and and uh, uh, if so, how is it going to happen? Yeah, and that's the one I would say deployment form factor I didn't mention, which is embedded. Um, I think if you look at it from an OT perspective or even IoT. Uh, you're going to see two places. You're right. One of the places you could do some of that security is, is through the gateway. The issue, depending on how far the gateway is, you've got a lot of this lateral movement that can go on between uh, devices, which could be an issue. On the other hand, uh, it's sometimes a price-performance issue. If these IoT devices are only $20, there's not much you can do in terms of putting any compute power there to do anything inside them. You can embed stuff, but that even makes it more expensive. So... There's a balance, I think, on IoT, so IoT devices in where you put the security. I think it's going to be sitting more in gateways or sort of sitting more in access control in the Wi-Fi example, how they attach. As soon as they attach the network, you want to apply some of that security. Uh, for OT, it's a different matter. For OT, you're talking very complex systems, very sophisticated systems. Problematic is in, in that area is that a lot of them are proprietary and only known by the manufacturers of factories and electric and water, etc. They're very proprietary, almost unknown. It's almost been their defense mechanism over the years. It's no one has a clue, really, what they are and how they get. But as you start to apply IP addresses to them, they become open. And I think in that situation, and the scale to some of those situations, we're going to start to see more embedded architectures, where we take some of our security processes and put them inside some of those devices, which could be millions of devices, and start to provide that security there and then. Because what you don't absolutely want is one device getting compromised and being able to spread instantly and attack some really critical infrastructure inside there. So I definitely see long-term embedded in the operational technology area as being, a, as being a key requirement. If you move all the way up into the cloud, I think cloud, uh, one, of the, one of the key requirements of cloud is flexibility. So often inside the cloud, they'll trade off performance for flexibility. Because in their minds, I can there's plenty of compute power there. Uh, I'll just trade off some of the compute power to make sure I can provide flexibility and I can move things around and commonality across there. However, what we are seeing in the last few years is a lot of the cloud vendors are starting to build their own hardware. You saw the Google's TPU, I think Azure and AWS have all announced their own hardware. Because at some point, specific ASICs can do things a thousands hundreds of thousands of times more efficient 
understand and compute. And security is a, is, a, is a really good example of that as well. And so what we see long term is major probably projects with some of the some of the cloud vendors that look at how they're processing some of that security and to see if we can apply again an ASIC hardware approach but maintaining their flexibility they require. Got it. And so the last question I want to ask is about cloud versus uh, appliance view of the future of cybersecurity. When we look at the future of uh, of cloud uh, security spending, cloud spending is maybe nine, ten percent, or something like that, and a huge amount is still being spent on, you know, cybersecurity software and appliances. Um, you guys are begging the bet that that transition to the cloud will be gradual, and that the um, bulk of the spending will stay on what's being spent now, and gradually more and more will be spent on the cloud. But it will be a long transition, one or two decades. I don't know if you've said publicly, but that's what it feels like for that transition to really become much more dominated by the cloud. While other vendors are saying, all cloud all the time, that's where we want to put our innovation, that's where we want to put our, uh, um, uh, our emphasis. Why do you think your bet is correct? Well, let's be clear. We, we definitely think, I mean, speak to a lot of customers who are moving into the cloud, either they're, they're migrating into the cloud, they're building from scratch in the cloud, they're already consuming cloud. There's no doubt that cloud will be a large proportion of the compute out there. We're also seeing customers who still are building out new data centers of their own. Uh, and as we said, we're also seeing probably in the next few years, a lot of enterprises start to enable edge compute as well. And so we believe in a hybrid world. We believe there'll be cloud compute, we believe there'll be on-premise data center compute, there'll be compute in the edge uh, through 5G, there'll be compute in devices still. And so it's not we're saying that the cloud's not gonna happen, it absolutely is gonna happen. And you need a, secu a different security model depending on how you're going there. Your journey to the cloud, you need a different security model. And what we're saying though is that what's important is you understand that it's gonna, it's gonna be hybrid for a long time, if not ever. And so you need different types of te technology and security. You need appliances, you need virtual machines, you need APIs and containers. But most importantly, you need to be able to coordinate the policy across all of those things. So it's definitely not saying that the cloud's not going to happen. We're going to say, what we're saying is customers are going to have a hybrid net network for a long time, hybrid compute in lots of different places, and you need a more flexible security system, we call it our security fabric, that can fit across all that hybrid network and provide best-of-breed security uh, that's very operationally efficient. Excellent. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. Uh, always love to talk to you, John. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan.